There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I had always known that being a Navy SEAL would mean facing the unimaginable, but nothing could have prepared me for the chaos that unfolded in the heart of Mogadishu, Somalia. Our mission was clear, rescue American hostages and thwart the resurgent warlord's plans. As part of the new generation of SEALs, I was ready to prove myself in the crucible of urban warfare. Our descent into the tumultuous streets of Mogadishu was swift and silent. We moved like shadows, our training ingrained in every step we took. The city was a labyrinth of danger, 
where every corner held the potential for ambush. We could feel the weight of history bearing down on us, for we knew that this city had once been the setting for the infamous Black Hawk Down mission. As we reached the hostage location, our intel proved accurate. We secured the Americans, their eyes filled with gratitude and relief. We were about to make our way back to the extraction point when the warlord's men descended upon us like a swarm of angry wasps. Urban combat was a nightmare. The narrow streets echoed with gunfire and the cacophony of battle. We fought relentlessly, trading fire with the enemy, each step forward costing us precious time and blood. In the midst of this chaos, our team was separated, and I found myself with only three other SEALs. We fought our way to the outskirts of town, battered and exhausted. The sun was setting, casting eerie shadows across the desolate landscape. That's when we saw it, a creature unlike anything we had ever encountered. It was probably about eight feet tall, kind of dark gray with a little brown. It had a mane, kind of like a male lion, but with shorter hair around the body and legs. The most unsettling part was that it was walking upright on its back legs, like a twisted fusion of man and beast. As we cautiously approached our vehicle, the creature dropped to all fours and bolted away at an incredible speed. Confusion gripped our team as we exchanged bewildered glances. We couldn't have been prepared for what happened next. The creature attacked with a sudden ferocity, launching itself at us. Gunfire erupted as we opened fire, but the bullets seemed to do little more than anger the beast. Two of our men fell, torn apart by the creature's savage assault. Panic gripped us as we continued to fire, desperate to save our lives. It was a harrowing battle that felt like a nightmare, but eventually, our combined firepower took its toll. The creature fell lifeless to the ground, an enigma wrapped in death. With our fallen comrades in our hearts and the unsettling memory of the unknown predator etched into our minds, we made a hasty retreat from that desolate place. The extraction point was our lifeline, and we raced towards it with every ounce of strength we had left. We left Mogadishu behind, a city steeped in darkness and mystery, its streets haunted by the specter of warlords and the unknown. Back in the safety of our base, we debriefed, trying to make sense of what we had encountered. None of us had answers, it was as if we had stumbled upon a creature from the depths of myth and legend. As I look back on that fateful mission, I'm left with more questions than answers. What was the creature that had attacked us on the outskirts of Mogadishu? Where had it come from, and was it a harbinger of something even more ominous? In the world of Navy SEALs, we were trained to face the worst humanity had to offer, but the encounter with the unknown had left an indelible mark on us. We were meant to be the hunters, but in that moment, we had become the hunted, lost in a darkness that defied explanation. As I carry the memory of that mission with me, I am haunted by the knowledge that there are mysteries in this world that may never be unraveled, and that sometimes, the shadows of the unknown are the most terrifying adversaries of all. My friend and I, well we didn't really see anything. But it was a scary moment for us nonetheless so I'll try to describe it in the best way I can. Two years ago, I went to a hiking trip. We decided we wanted to see the sunrise on the top of the hill so we started hiking at around 3 am. 
We set some tents at the base of the hills, but some of us chose to stay at the campsite. And so, to get to the hill, you need to cross a little jungle first, for a half hour or so, depending on your pace. It was dark, so dark, we had our headlamp on but somehow, I began to lose breath, I cannot cope with the other hikers, I was so far behind that one of the guide decided, okay I cannot continue with the hike and I need to go back to the camp with him. And we did. Not the greatest moment in my life. So the path was narrow, I was walking in front while the guide was behind me. And we heard, the sound of wings flapping above us. Bird wings, only the wings seemed to be so large because we can feel the wind blowing. Like it was so big, it was covering both of us. And I instinctively dropped myself on the ground, because I can feel something was trying to grab my head, from above. The guide behind me then went and threw his body upon me, like he was protecting me from something. Even though we didn't see anything. I cried, and he shouted so loud, he was trying to shoo something away. We stay like that for a whole five minutes, I couldn't stop crying, but then we still need to move because it was still two hours away till dawn. Only this time, we walked together, side by side, holding each other tight. When we safely reached the camp, the guide told me that he had no idea what that creature was, it wasn't something he ever heard of, but we both heard the flapping sound, we both felt the wind blowing, and we both knew something was trying to take me. We reacted solely on our instincts that day. I went hiking in Arizona with some friends, I think there were four of us total. We were gonna hike up to some caves, smoke a little, drink a little, and check out the caves in the dark. Should be spooky. After we come out of the caves exploring, we see a set of headlights bouncing around in the desert below us. You can see for miles around. The headlights don't seem to belong to a car on a dirt road, because those things are bouncing around like crazy. They're driving through the desert, over everything. Weird, we all discuss it and think they must be just off-roading at night. The headlights bounce around a while, getting closer. We decide to make our way back to the car, just in case the headlight bouncers didn't want to do nice things to our lonely car. It's three miles down the trail, but we can see the whole valley, so we'd know if they started heading towards our car. As we're about halfway down, that truck stops and the headlights are pointed directly at us. They had been driving around for a while, then just stopped pointed right in our direction. They can't see us or anything, it's dark as f and they're hundreds and hundreds of yards away. Still, why would they stop in our direction? A sharp crack breaks through the air, pack how are you? Then we all hear an angry hornet buzz by eia a a We watch as all the twigs between us snap, like watching a Vietnam movie. All of us hit the dirt behind a mound the trail sheltered us from the direction of the truck. It went from creepy to scary in a split second. We started screaming that there's people out here, waited a while longer, then headed for the car again. The headlights shut off. We finally make it to the car. The end. Edit, speculation from group of friends, poachers hunting at night with night vision, thinking we're prey.
My parents lived next to a golf course with about five acres of pretty thick woods in between. Briar patches, piles of pine needles, etc. From time to time I would walk back there to collect the golf balls because I knew a guy that would buy them by the bucket and the guys golfing weren't going into the woods to get them back. So one evening around dusk in mid-July, I'm walking through and doing my thing with a good 20 or so balls and something catches my eye. Now it's not uncommon for homeless people to live in these woods. It's near the middle of the city and you can often find abandoned piles of food and beer cans. I notice a skeleton out of the corner of my eye with its back leaned up against a tree. Immediate fear rushed through me. I ran about 30 feet away and had to look again. It almost looked like an angel. It had huge wings attached to it. In 1972, May 18th, off the coast of Thailand, our submarine, the USS Queenfish SS-399, a Sturgeon-class attack submarine, was on a routine patrol submerged in the Gulf of Thailand when, at about 2.15 p.m., we spotted an unidentified object coming from the surface. It rapidly became obvious that this was heading straight for our submerged position. There were no returns from any ship or aircraft in the area. The only thing we could see was a great disturbance in the water, and whatever it was, it headed directly for our position. Everybody standing topside in the conning tower and on the bridge grabbed their binoculars to get a closer look at this mysterious object, but what came into focus didn't make much sense. Someone hollered out that it looked like a giant octopus, and it did seem to be swimming using the many arms or legs in much the same way a giant squid propels itself. We couldn't tell which, but the part that made all of us terrified was the fact that it appeared intelligent. The way it moved, the large eyes seemed to be looking right at us, and its actions appeared deliberate as well as menacing, almost as if this unearthly sea monster had reached our submarine. It rapidly swam by, but not before giving us all a very close look at its shiny, wet skin. The arms or legs seemed to be moving in unison, much like the oars of an ancient galley. The top, thinner hump was about 10 feet tall, and the large eyes were situated roughly 6 feet apart on either side of this hump. The skin was smooth, and it appeared to be very large, at least 100 feet in length. The flesh or whatever seemed thick and white, like the belly of a shark, but the skin on the tar part was blacker than any sea we'd ever seen. It looked very slimy, and we could see no pectoral fins or flippers as it swam past us all. Everybody was terrified but also fascinated at the same time. For several seconds following, we watched this creature swim by very rapidly. There was no doubt in our mind that our submarine, seeming to pause, looked directly at us before shooting off into the deep blue sea. We were terrified, not knowing what this was. It wasn't quite an octopus, and it did not look like a squid. It looked like something we had never seen before, although terrified, we were fascinated by its size and beauty. We all knew that this creature was no whale behemoth or any known sea creature. I didn't think it to be a living dinosaur either, but who could say for sure? Well, the captain surfaced the boat as fast as he could to warn any other ship or aircraft of the strange thing that had just happened. The radio room tried to contact any and all ships in the area, but nobody answered. 
We stayed on the surface for about an hour, trying to tell everybody that this large thing had appeared intelligent and then it had gone after our submarine, just as if we were bothersome fish that had swum into its territory. The captain decided to track this creature on sonar, but soon found out our equipment was not capable of tracking anything that large. We could see the object on the screen, about 6 feet tall and about 10 feet wide, but this was about all. After several days of tracking it, the captain determined this thing to be over 100 feet in length and very intelligent. It even seemed to sense our presence almost as quickly as we could run sonar on it. I count myself lucky to have seen it once, but after hearing other stories, I wish that I'd never seen anything so terrifyingly beautiful. Twenty-five. That is the number of people who have gone missing at the park since the beginning of the year, with nothing being done or said about it. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'll lose my job when they find this posting, but, I have other things to be scared of at this point, and this needs to get out. I'm a wilderness ranger at Mount Rainier. My job is to walk the hundreds of miles of trail and wilderness in the park looking for problems and helping lost and injured hikers. In the old days, any lost hiker would mean all of us going out together, putting together a search plan, and doing our best to get them home safely. Things are different today, ever since the start of 2022. Whenever a person gets reported as missing the family is assured we are on it and will do our best to find them, and promise that they will dispatch us to look. As soon as the family is gone our bosses tell us that they'll have a search and rescue company take over, and if we know what's best for our jobs we should just focus on checking trail conditions and doing the rest of our jobs. And so it's gone on since 2022. At first, there were just a few people missing here and they're all over the park. It didn't seem that unusual other than our rangers not being involved in the search, but we figured it was some new policy and shrugged it off. More people started disappearing as the year went on, making all of us wonder what was going on and why it had been made clear to us we should keep our mouths shut. Personally, I figured it was just a combination of bad trail conditions from a rough winter, an influx of inexperienced hikers, and the park service trying to avoid looking bad when we needed more funding. Until last Thursday. It was an overcast day and I was walking along the trail up to Ipsut Pass in the Carbon River area humming quietly to myself to pass the time and wondering how far up I would go before I had to put on crampons, when I saw it. Off to the side of the trail, maybe 50 feet into the forest, there was an odd light on the forest floor. At first, I thought the light was just a reflection off of water or some trash someone had left, but as I moved closer, the light didn't fade or change, it just stayed steady. Maybe it was a lost flashlight? I had walked this trail dozens of times, and never noticed it before. I knelt down, taking my pack off, and saw that the light seemed to be coming from just under the dirt. For some reason I felt uneasy. I looked around to see if anyone else was nearby on the trail, and saw no one. Shrugging, I reached into the dirt to poke at the light and see what it was. Poking around, I found the corner of a slightly open trapdoor that was at most only a foot wide on each side. It was camouflaged nearly perfectly. If it had not been left just barely ajar with the light exposed, there is no way anyone would have seen it from the trail. I kept opening it, 
feeling uneasy, but hoping it was some sort of buried seismometer, or at worst maybe some hiker's idea of a good place to cache food and water for a long trek. Instead, I found the opening to what appeared to be a small burrow of sorts with an electric camping torch at the corner. I shoved my head down to look inside. The space was small, with enough room for one person if they didn't mind contorting themselves. On the walls of the burrow were dozens of Polaroid photos of people hiking. All of the photos seemed to have been taken very low to the ground. The photos were from all over the park, many dozens or more miles apart. Most of the photos I didn't recognize, but among them I saw a few that I knew for a fact were hikers that had gone missing over the last year. Then my heart stopped. I saw a photo of me hiking along the Ipsut Pass Trail, around a half hour ago. Crack! I heard a twig snap somewhere around me. I took my head out of the burrow, and started running down the trail the way I came. I didn't look back or stop until I got to the wilderness cabin near Upsut Campground. I locked and barricaded the door, and waited until another ranger showed up the next morning, not sleeping a wink. I asked him to walk back along the Upsut Pass trail with me. He was annoyed that I wouldn't say why but agreed. We spent an hour looking, but couldn't find any sign of the burrow. I asked for some time off right afterwards, and my manager seemed very suspicious and demanded to know why. I made up some excuse about my family, and didn't tell him or anyone else what I saw. For some reason, I knew that telling them would at best end with me losing my job. I don't know who or what made that burrow, but I think it's taking people at Rainier, and for some reason the government is covering it up. I wish that was the end of the story. But it's not. This afternoon, I saw something glinting from within the air vent on the floor of my kitchen. I thought maybe my cat had stuck another toy in it. I took the grating off the vent to take the toy out. Instead of a cat toy, I found a Polaroid photo, taken low to the ground, of me making breakfast this morning. Shit, I think I just hit a bear. I thought to myself as I hit the brakes and pulled over onto the shoulder. The windshield was crushed, the hood was dented, but surprisingly there was no blood. It had happened way too fast for me to react, I was just driving along, then there was a brown, furry mass, then a huge racket, and all of a sudden I'm driving a busted car with a screwed up windshield. I better go back and pull the bear off to the side of the road, make sure nobody else hits it, I thought. Hitting a bear is bad, but running over a bear, with all its teeth and claws and pointy bits, had to be worse. I got out of my car and put on my jacket I had in the back seat. The snow that had been coming down lightly all day had picked up, and so had the wind, making my journey to retrieve this poor bear all the more annoying. I started walking back along the side of the road, towards where I had hit the thing. I figured it must be a few hundred feet from where I had parked, considering how far I had driven after I had made contact. Walking along the shoulder, wind and snow in my face, and the light from my phone illuminating my path, I was trying to tell myself it was okay and that these things happen. There's no way I could have seen that bear out there, it just popped out and I reacted as fast as I could. I was going to call 911 when I found it and then be on my merry way. But I found something strange, or rather I didn't find anything. 
I had walked far past where I thought I was going to find it laying in the road, but I couldn't find the remains of this bear. There was no way that it had survived the impact, I hit it pretty straight on and heard the thing tumble over the top of my car and down on the other side as I drove away. Plus the bear had been walking on its hind legs, so my guess was that it wasn't as protected as it could have been if it was walking on all fours. Maybe I missed it, I thought, there's no way that I hit it this far back, and it couldn't have gotten up and walked off. Given the terrible weather, I said oh well, and began to walk back towards my car. The woods had always kind of freaked me out, especially being a city boy in the middle of Colorado. I did like getting away from the office and visiting my uncle up here, but the mountain resorts and rural escapes did have the downside of scaring the ever-loving crap out of me. Then I heard a huge crack coming from the woods off the side of the road. It wasn't like a branch falling from a tree in a storm, this was a huge, oh my god there's something out there snapping sound. It was like a tree was literally being ripped away from its stump by sheer force. There's no way a bear can be both alive, and in good enough shape to do something like that after I hit it with my car, I thought, I must have really pissed it off. Then, amidst my fear, I stopped and thought about that sound a bit more. A bear doesn't do that under normal circumstances. Bears are strong, but they don't go ripping trees off of their stumps, especially not after I clobber them head on with my car. I decided not to ponder anymore and instead I thought it best to leave whatever was ripping the trees out of the ground on its own. I started to walk with a much quicker pace back to my car, breathing in through the nose, and out through the mouth due to the high elevation. Then I heard another, ear-splitting crack, more forceful than the one before. Not only was it louder, but it was closer to me than before, and I realized that whatever was out in the woods was aware that I was on the road. I decided to make it work if it was going to catch me, well that's how I put it now, when really my thoughts were more along the lines of oh please no I want to live, I need to escape this thing. I broke into a fast jog, still breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. I tried hard not to think about what was out there, and that imagining what a funny story this would be for Uncle Steve when I eventually got back to the condo. He was going to make me feel like such a wimp when I told him I was running away from noises in the woods, which he probably hears all the time. Then I heard thumping behind me. Something big, heavy, and angry was gaining on me from behind, and this absolutely wasn't my imagination. Just as I realized I couldn't outrun this thing, I saw my car in the distance. I might just get out of here, I exclaimed to myself. But as soon as I had that thought, the animal that had been ripping trees up popped out in front of me. For one thing, I nearly fear shit my pants, and the other was my surprise at what this animal actually was. It wasn't a bear, but I could see why I thought it was. It was nine odd feet tall, standing on two very thick legs. It had actual feet, which were absolutely massive. Now, I have big feet, size 14s to be exact, but this thing had feet that were at least twice as big as mine. It was covered in thick, brown hair, had a manlike but somehow apish face, and was terrifying. Furthermore it was just staring at me with an expression that said I am very mad. It wasn't eating me, or tearing me limb from limb, or making jelly from my bones and spreading it on his ape-man toast. Just staring. Then. 
To my even bigger surprise, it spoke to me. I'll have you know that really hurt, it said, in a rather collected and eloquent English accent. I think you've done in my leg. Now I can barely walk, how the hell am I going to gather food? I glanced down at his legs, and there was a rudimentary splint made from tree bark and rope I had in my car wrapped around his right knee and calf. Weirdly, my first thought was he stole my rope. What a jerk. What have you got to say for yourself? He asked, sternly but without being particularly threatening. I didn't know how to respond. I had found Bigfoot, at least I think, and not only was he real, but he spoke extremely good English. Against my better judgment, I decided to speak, but the only thing I managed to say might have just gotten me actually eaten. That's my rope, I said. I had always kept some rudimentary survival gear in my car when I came up into the mountains. There was some rope, non-perishable food, a sat phone, and a radio in a little packet tucked into my trunk. I never had any intention of using it, I was keeping it for a rainy day. But pointing this out to a gigantic cryptid? I must have sounded crazy, even to this thing. Is that really what you're going to say? He rightfully retorted. You've got a legendary woodland creature standing in front of you demanding an apology for a shattered leg, and all you can muster is you stole my rope? Are you mad? He stared at me for another second. Well I did, but that's not the point. You've broken my leg, so I had to do something. I wasn't just going to let it heal wrong. Sorry? I said. I couldn't muster the words to describe what was going through my head at this point. I'm pretty sure that was due to my own ability to describe what I was seeing. I did have thoughts, and the best words I can use to describe them include bewildered, aghast, petrified, and up shit creek without a paddle. Well you're going to have to pay me back somehow, he said. You obviously can't take me to a hospital, because that would cause a great hullabaloo. He sat there pondering for a moment, while I started to wonder, how in the hell does Bigfoot know about hospitals? Isn't he an Australopithecus? That's what my anthropology teacher mentioned, right? I could barely gather my thoughts before he spoke again. You know what, how would you like to be the new Bigfoot? It's getting time for me to retire anyway. I had no idea that Bigfoot retirement was a thing. Hasn't there always been one Bigfoot? Or a small family? What the hell was Bigfoot talking about? He noticed my stunned, slightly confused silence. You didn't seriously think that there was only one Bigfoot did you? He asked me, slightly amused. You're that naive? Oh God. He began to laugh hard. I was slightly embarrassed, but a wave of calm curiosity overtook me, all of a sudden I was dying to know more about this thing and their career situation. Okay let me explain, with the exception of a few of us, such as Nessie, the Kraken, and Cthulhu, most don't actually live past a slightly longer than average lifespan. I got this job in the 60s after I accidentally shot Bigfoot while on a hunting trip. I was absolutely stunned, this is how the myth kept going? Just kidnapping people that came across you? I was very confused, but the calmness that had come over me earlier continued its effect. Bigfoot continued, the last cryptid to get replaced was Yeti, who was wounded by a Sherpa that happened across his path. I was still terrified and amazed, but thankfully much less confused. So I have to become, 
Your apprentice? I asked. That's about the size of it. You'll never get to see your family again, and they'll never get closure on your mysterious disappearance. A few conspiracy theorists will come to the conclusion that I have abducted you, killed you, or eaten you or something to that effect, but they will be marginalized and told that they are wrong. It's a hard job to accept, but you have no choice, and someone has to do it. Why is that? I asked why not just retire and not take an apprentice? Does there really have to be all these monsters running around? It seemed a bit silly that all of these animals were purposefully keeping the myth around. Why not just let it die out? How I managed to ask this so calmly when I was so panicked beforehand is beyond me. You'll find out soon enough, Bigfoot said, winking at me. I'm not actually allowed to tell you, but trust me, as soon as you take the job, you'll be informed. I had a burning desire to ask Bigfoot more questions about who was keeping him employed and why he had two, and I could feel all the care of my old life being sucked away, readily accepting my new position as Bigfoot apprentice. Bigfoot walked over to the side of the road, casually stepped over the barrier, yanked a small tree out of the ground to use as a walking stick, and gestured to me to follow him into the woods. He talked to me as we walked, you're a big guy so it won't take you long to adapt to the job. You'll have to dress in your underwear for a little while, soon enough the adaption process will begin and you'll start to grow hair all over your body. That part terrified me, but I guess I wouldn't have to worry about someone finding me overly hairy, considering I was going to be Bigfoot. You'll also start to get taller, which is a very painful process, but it happens fast so don't worry about it. Once you've got the looks part down, You'll have to start scaring backwoods wanderers, leaving footprints, poop and such for people to find to keep the Bigfoot myth alive. Being Bigfoot sounded like it took a lot of energy. If you don't keep the myth alive, you'll be in big trouble. But if you get caught, you'll be in even bigger trouble, so do not get caught under any circumstances. Better to not leave many clues than to get discovered. Don't get caught, number one thing. I was attempting to take mental notes, even though part of me still really hoped that I was dreaming. Try to stay away from those Finding Bigfoot documentaries. For one thing, there are a lot of them, and appearing in every one that comes looking for you might get people more believing than is safe. Try to spook a few of the people making them, but don't go overboard. Just have fun with it. Nature documentaries good but don't overdo it, noted. After what seemed like 5 minutes, but in reality must have been more like 5 miles, we reached a cave in the side of a mountain, and Bigfoot stopped walking. This is your new home, for now, he told me. We're going to have to move soon, people will come looking for you. That's another thing, keep mobile. Stay in one place too long and they'll learn your location and get dangerously close to discovering you. Keep mobile, got it. Bigfoot turned away fro the cave and towards me. He checked his leg, let out a big groan, and then continued, right, we need to begin training immediately. Rip off your shirt and let the hair start to grow. When the third call came in, we knew we had a problem. They all described the same thing, a man in a black jacket following them at a distance as they hiked through the forest. The man didn't say anything. He had a hood pulled tight over his head. No one saw his face.
All three sightings occurred up over the ridge to the west of the station. Someone had to go and take a look. Jim and I played a lightning game of rock paper scissors. It's like the man can read my mind. I clipped a radio to my belt and jumped in the truck. Hikers often report seeing something strange out in the forest. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The dark spaces between the trees play tricks on the mind. That and the isolation. But three sightings within a week describing the exact same thing ruled out a simple case of imagination and overdrive. Someone was out there, the question was who and why. I rambled up the slope as far as the truck would take me and then jumped out. I still had to negotiate the worst part of the ridge. The slope gets steep in parts and is hell on your legs. It made me think. Why has someone been spotted way up here on three different days across the space of a week? No one lived up this way. It wasn't a place for folk on a daily walk. A pang of fear gripped my stomach. Should I have come alone? I crested the slope and reached for my radio, and then I saw him. A silhouette mingling with the shadows between the thin trunks of birch. He was the length of a football field for me. Black jacket and a hood. He half turned in my direction and took a step forwards. In a strange way it gave me comfort. If there were any nefarious reason for him to be out here, I'd have expected him to retreat into the woods. Even at this distance he couldn't fail to recognize my ranger uniform. As I came within a distance where I could call to him without yelling, I raised a hand in greeting. I strained to see his face, but a deep and dark shadow obscured his features. I opened my mouth to say hello, but before any sound came out, he turned and strode into the forest. I called after him, but he continued to thread his way through the trees. I skipped a few paces to bridge the gap between us. Within touching distance, I reached out and a strange sensation flowed through my fingertips. It felt like a controlled release of electricity, not painful, almost like a severe case of pins and needles. Before I could retract my hand, a brilliant light flooded my vision. I shut my eyes and covered them with my hands. Somehow the light shone through. I cried out and stopped dead in my tracks. And then the light was gone. I opened my eyes. I stood in a clearing. The sun streamed down through the gap in the trees. At the center of the clearing stood an old stone well, the walls extending up to about waist height above the ground. I had seen structures like this around town, relics of frontier times. That a well would be out here in the middle of the forest, far from any settlement past or present, was baffling. The man in black stood behind the well and motioned me toward it. I approached the well, adrenaline sending my heart into a frenzy. Why had he led me out here? The sun warmed my shoulders from above. Despite the bright sunshine, the man's face remained shrouded in shadow. He pointed to the well. I stopped a few paces short. Something about this wasn't right. 
Everything about this wasn't right. Did he mean to throw me down? A voice sounded in my head. It did not come via my ears but seemed to somehow feed directly into my brain. You must look. I watched the man suspiciously and inched closer to the well. The mortar between the stones crumbled and moss stained the outside face green. This well was old. I saw something strange on the inside face. Writing. Something carved into the stone. It read, truth lies at the bottom of a well. What truth? I peered down. The shaft was deeper than I expected. Black shadows shrouded the walls at the base. All was dark except a sliver of light reflecting off the water sitting at the bottom. The reflection shimmered as if tiny waves swept over the water. I lowered my head and squinted. An image appeared in the bottom like a movie projected onto a screen. The image sharpened and came into focus. The forest at night under a full moon. Mist mingled with the trees. I felt the cold. I did not imagine it, but felt it. My skin prickled and I shivered. A road snaked up through the forest. I recognized it. It is a few minutes north of the ranger station. A figure walked beside the road. He wore a black jacket, the hood pulled up over his head. It was the same man who led me out here. A set of headlights flickered through the trees and then came into focus. The man in black stuck out a thumb. The images cut to the inside of the car. For a moment a bottle of whiskey obscured the identity of the driver. When the bottle lowered it was Jim who appeared. Music blared from the radio. The revs on the dial pushed into the red. I turned away from the movie playing at the bottom of the well. This was madness. The man in black, the hitchhiker, pulled back his hood. His face was youthful and innocent, but there was something wrong. His skin wrinkled and pulled away from his eyes revealing a ring of red around the perimeter. Two black holes were where his nose should be. Blood poured from his mouth and a few teeth were missing. The temple on the right side was caved in. I took a step back and cried out. I almost turned to run, but the hitchhiker held up his palms. He pointed down the well. I hesitated. The words repeated in my brain. You must look. My legs were jelly. My mind was torn. Part of me wanted to run and get as far away as possible, and the other part wanted to see what was down at the bottom of that well. I stepped forwards and looked down. The projection at the bottom of the well resumed. The bottle of whiskey slipped from Jim's grasp. One hand pulled and pushed the steering wheel as the other fumbled at his feet for the bottle. The truck drifted and then overcorrected. The man in black, stood by the side of the road with his thumb outstretched, had no chance. The truck skidded to a stop. Jim breathed rapidly from behind the wheel. He searched the rear vision mirror and found a black lump at the side of the road. He turned to confirm what the mirror told him. He put the truck in gear and drove. He rounded the next bend and stopped. The road was quiet. He killed the headlights and reversed. Under the pale light of the moon, Jim dragged the hitchhiker off the side of the road and into the forest. He came to a gully and tumbled down the bank. Jim scrambled back up the slope and pulled the hitchhiker down. Jim paused for a moment at the bottom, watching the face of the hitchhiker, before setting to work covering the body with branches and leaves. The moon grew and brightened until the light forced me to close my eyes. 
When I opened them I was back in the forest. The clearing and the well and the man in the black jacket were gone. I walked back to my truck. I sat there for 15 minutes before starting the engine and driving back. I searched the parking lot for Jim's truck. It wasn't there. Jim narrowed his eyes when he saw me. I didn't blame him. I was white as a sheet and knew it. He asked me what I saw, and I told him nothing. I stammered a question about his truck. He paused and licked his lips and told me it was in the shop. I told two lies the following morning. The first was to our boss. I told him we'd had another call about a man in a black jacket in that gym and I would take a look. The second was to Jim. I told him we had a report of a tree down on a walking trail and we had to go clear it up. We got in the truck. I took the road I saw in the vision at the bottom of the well. I knew the curve, when you take a road every day you get to know it almost to a point you could drive it with your eyes closed. I stopped right at the spot where Jim had smashed into the hitchhiker. Jim looked over at me confused. Which walking trail were we going to? His hands shook. I got out of the truck and instructed him to follow. We were taking a shortcut. I had to see it for myself. If what I had seen in the well was the truth, then the boy might still be there in the gully where Jim left him. And I had to know if it was Jim, and the only way to do that was to have him there. To see the look on his face. To see it in his eyes that it was him. Jim fell behind and I barked at him to keep up. We were almost at the gully. I turned back and Jim had stopped. He implored me to turn back. I kept going. The gully fell away below my feet. At the bottom, partially hidden below a stack of branches, was a figure wearing black. I shouted back to Jim. I told him something was down there. He begged me to stop. I unclipped the radio from my belt and called it in. Jim's shoulders fell. He ran a hand through his hair. He searched the slivers of sky visible through the trees for answers. For a split second his mouth turned downwards like a child about to cry. I had him. But a moment later all fear left his face. He sighed. He strode confidently to the crest of the gully and looked down. He told me I was right and that there was something down there. I searched his eyes. I looked for guilt. I saw only Jim, the guy who worked at the desk on the other side of the partition. How could he be so calm? How could he not break down and confess? The police came and retrieved the body. They identified the hitchhiker. An 18-year-old runaway escaping an abusive father. Two officers interviewed me in a small room. I told them we had found the body by accident. They found it strange we had reports of a man matching the hitchhiker's description from the last week. I agreed, but I could not explain it. There was no way I could tell them about the well and what I saw in the bottom. I only told them that I thought it was strange that Jim suddenly didn't have his truck. This produced furrowed brows. I only repeated that I wanted them to look into it. Whether the police investigated or not I cannot say. Jim's truck never resurfaced. He says he sold it. The death was classified as an accident and no suspect or witness was ever identified. I know the truth and so does Jim. But I can't prove it. I still sit at the desk on the other side of the partition. If it plays on Jim's mind, he never gives anything away. One night I left a note in his letterbox that said, I know it was you. He has never mentioned it. 
I see the hitchhiker in my dreams. The headlights from Jim's car lighting his face in the last moments of his life. There is nothing I can do for him. Sometimes, I go out to the forest and search for the well. I have not seen it since. Sometimes the truth lies just out of reach, and sometimes it seems so far away it could be down at the bottom of a well. In high school I kind of went on a spiritual journey and took my time practicing a few different religions, and one of them was Wicca. I had an altar set up in my room but I felt like I really wasn't getting it, whatever there is to get, and felt like maybe if I went out and practiced in nature then something would click. I waited until the summer solstice, packed up all of my stuff and headed to a dam near the edge of my neighborhood. The dam was owned by the state, but it was tucked into the woods at the end of a cul-de-sac filled W families that didn't have kids, so no one ever really went there except for me. So I'm in the woods by the dam, I have a small fire going, two candles lit, and a pretty fancy knife, called an atham when used for Wicca purposes. It's dark and I'm chanting out of this stupid little book my mom got me when I hear a weird noise. I figure it's just the wind, and I wasn't really scared because I'm in the part of Connecticut that doesn't have much wildlife, so I keep going. Then I hear from behind me oh dude holy shit it scares the life out of me so I turn around and scream, which in turn makes the poor group of teens behind me drop their shit and book IT back toward civilization. Turns out it was a pretty popular spot for kids to go and smoke weed or drink away from prying eyes and I had totally ruined whatever party they were trying to have, because they left behind a foam cooler filled with ice and beer. So if there's a story in here about kids finding a witch in the woods, hi that was me and I'm sorry. My wife, daughter, and I went camping over the Labor Day holiday weekend. We both took off work Friday and headed off to meet up with a group of friends who were camping with their kids and dogs. They were already out there and had found a nice campsite that was big enough for our group. Just a spot off of a service road with a primitive fire pit and not an official campground. In total, there were 10 of us, 7 adults and 3 tweens. We were camping out in an area south of Mount Rainier, Washington just outside of the park boundary off of a road that would lead you to a locked gate that enters the park. We knew at the end of the road was a locked gate because all the cars that went that way only to flip back around because it was only accessible to National Park staff. We set up our camp in a flat area that would fit the two tents that they had raked up for us prior to our arrival, it was a bit closer to the road than their tents were. They had set up their tents much further back. Once camp was set up we hung out with our friends while the kids played and had dinner around the fire. Just friends hanging out having drinks hanging around the fire and all was great. We stayed up pretty late and everyone was getting tired and cold. Slowly everyone faded off to their tents and to bed. My wife was cold and went to warm up in the car and then proceeded to fall asleep in the car. Now my daughter and I are the last two awake out by the fire and she decided that she wanted to sleep in the car where it was warm with my wife. I agreed that was okay after I attempted to wake my wife up and get her to come to the tent to go to sleep and she was out cold. So I watched her go to her tent and grab her blanket and her sleeping bag for my wife as it was cold and I had turned the car off now. She grabbed the stuff, zipped up the tent, 
and off to the car she went. I stayed up a little bit longer by the fire and must have dozed off momentarily because when I woke back up I was sitting in a camping chair with only glowing embers and it was pitch black. Only the coals of the fire glowing red glowing in the now dead fire. I got up and found my way to the tent and the pitch blackness of the night climbed in and went to sleep. I was exhausted and fell asleep as soon as I hit that sleeping bag. Around 3.30 am. I woke up to my daughter's tent kind of rustling and what sounded like two female voices talking really softly. I listened intently trying to hear what they were saying, but I couldn't really understand anything. There were no real discernible words coming out just mumbling. Then silence. I figured it was just my wife and daughter finding their way to my daughter's tent, not wanting to wake me up by being loud. Figured my wife was just going to sleep in the tent with my daughter. However, now I am up because my back is killing me because the air mattress is now flat and airless. As I lay there in what I can only describe as dead silence I heard cracking like sticks breaking or popping so I assumed it was the fire still hanging on somehow. Then I hear something moving around towards the front of my tent and it stops. Something is directly outside the front of my tent I can feel it and sense it. So I slowly raise up to a seated position and hear something breathe in and exhale a large breath. This is the heaviest breath I have ever heard and it was followed but what I can only describe as a very loud huff as if from a horse or cow or some very large animal. I sat there frozen with fear trying to rationalize what it was I was hearing and it stopped. All I heard was the one deep inhale and exhale and that huff sound then everything went silent. What followed next was an owl hooting a little ways off back from behind the area of our friend's tents and after that, I heard nothing else. No sounds at all no fire popping or sticks cracking nothing. I stayed there sitting up frozen with fear for what seemed like forever until I could tell the sun was coming up and that it was light out now. I muster up the courage and go outside and check the ground in front of my tent and that's when I noticed my daughter's tent unzipped and empty. I panic and rush to the car and there they are in the car sound asleep. I see not a single track, nothing around our tents, and everyone else is about 20 to 30 yards away in their tents. Now I am freaking the hell out. Who did I hear talking? Who was skulking around the tent? What the hell was that breathing in front of me and huffing outside my tent? What opened my daughter's tent zipper? Surely there is an explanation and I sit out there for at least an hour getting the fire going as our friends begin to get up and move about. They slowly make their way to the fire and I immediately start asking them where were the dogs all night? Did you let them out were they sniffing around my tent? Did any of you wake up and were talking or moving around and did you hear that owl? Nope, no, and no they all replied. I have no idea what that was talking softly and what was breathing and huffing right in front of me. What the hell opened my daughter's tent in the night? I watched her zip it shut and go to the car. That breath and huff was so scary it left me frozen with fear and I didn't move at all after hearing it and sat there as silent as possible not even wanting to breathe. One of the scariest moments of my life is something large and unknown in the darkness directly in front of me and the only thing separating us is a thin tent wall. This all happened Friday into Saturday morning and we still have another night here. I decided that I am not sleeping in the tents and neither are my wife and daughter tonight or ever again. The rest of the day went great hanging out and having breakfast, going into town, 
Ashford, and going for a hike down the road to Lake, Cora Lake. Basically just camping and hanging. It's getting later now and although the sun is out and blue skies the canopy in our camping area is thick and even at the brightest point in the day was still pretty dark compared to the road area. As we are hanging out we hear whoops way off in the distance and we're thinking what is that? More time passes by and now a few of the people that were there when we arrived at camp have left. Just seven of us left and two of the seven were pretty much always in their tent. So that left five of us hanging out by the fire. That's when dusk crept in and my buddy began working on dinner for all of us. As we sat there, from off in the woods between us and the park boundary towards the creek we heard these blood-curdling screams and would type howls that everyone heard. We all stopped talking and fell silent and we all began to ask each other WTF was that. We heard this about four to five times. It sounded like a woman being murdered and a howling type of sound. Then came a few tree knocks from the same general direction. Is someone messing with us out here everyone was thinking? Keep in mind it is a holiday weekend, so tons of campers within a 15 mile radius. So I called my buddy over and he hadn't heard the screams because he had been cooking on a skillet and had a propane lantern in front of him and behind him and they were loud. We stand there and listen and don't hear it. We decided we would do a tree knockback, closer to the road that divided us from the area we heard these vocalizations and knocks. That is when we heard it. I got a chill down my spine to my core and the hairs raised up on my arms and neck. We both looked at one another and at the same time asked, did you hear that? I asked him what he heard and we had both heard what we can only describe as a monkey or gorilla sound like you would hear on Discovery Channel or something. It was like ooh ooh ah 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 sound. It was far off but deep and rumbling sounding unlike what you hear on TV. I want to say it was directed or focused at us, I only say that because the other people were sitting behind us maybe only 10 feet away and they didn't hear it only us. Now we are freaking the hell out and nobody is sleeping in their tents. We don't want to say anything and freak everyone else because at this point they are already on edge. I have been hiking and camping here in the Pacific Northwest for almost 20 years now and have never experienced this while I was camping out with family and friends. I am 39 years old and from the East Coast and have been shot at and chased growing up in the ghetto. I am a former US Army infantryman who has spent countless nights in only a sleeping bag in a dugout sleeping hole and in tents. I am now afraid to ever sleep in a tent again after this weekend. I have never really ever felt fear like I did that first night in all my time in the forests out here except when I was a kid in the woods back home. Princeton, British Columbia, Canada on the Sterling Creek logging road around 3.30 in the morning. There were two logging trucks about half a kilometer ahead of me. It was very dusty being late summer and I was in a pickup truck. I was cresting the hill where I could barely see the logging truck's tail lights. By then I was maybe 300 yards give or take. I thought I'd seen something that crossed the road behind the last truck and me. As I got closer something rolled down on the high side of the bank into the ditch. I was about 15 to 20 feet from what I thought was a bear cub. This little thing comes out of the ditch all confused looking at the headlights of the pickup truck. It was on all four legs at the time. 
I just stared at it and thought that it was a weird looking bear cub. Here's where it gets strange. The little guy gets up on two legs and starts walking a couple of feet looking from one side of the road to the other side from where he rolled down. I got a good look at it. The ears were not of any bear cub. Its nose was close to the face like a human's. You could see the skin through the hair. I shut the truck off and opened the door and stood on the door jam looking at it. Something moved from the high side of the road, landed, grabbed the little guy, and jumped off to the bottom side into the dark. It was a massive two-legged beast that had strength that no bear was capable of doing, never mind that it was on two legs. I'm 47 years old, born and raised in Princeton. I'm a hunter. I've killed lots of four-legged animals. I tell everybody now that we are not at the top of the food chain. All I can say is that if you think you're going to kill one of them you're playing with something that's not going to lose. Call me a liar, call me crazy, it doesn't matter to me. It's around 4.30 am. Here and all the dogs in my neighborhood, I live in Hagerstown, Maryland, are freaking out. I get up to go let my dogs inside the house figuring that'll at least calm things down a bit. I open the back porch door and look to my right where there is a fence line to another house. I looked over there because it looked like there were clothes hanging off the fence and our neighbors have never done that so I thought it was weird. Then I saw them. Two men in black suits with no heads. I look at them for a good minute to make sure my eyes aren't playing tricks on me. They don't move they just stand there. I could tell that one looked heavier than the other but that's it. I backed into the house locked the back door and turned off the light. I go back into my room and my husband is now awake because of all the dogs barking. I tell him I'm going to wait until it's light outside to get the dogs in because I just saw something I can't explain. I told him what I saw and I said I felt like I sounded crazy but I saw this, I'm not joking. He seemed like he believed me but I don't know. WTH did I see? Hello my name is R. At the time of the incident, I was living in China Grove, North Carolina. It was March 30, 2007. First off just want to say I never looked into aliens or researched them or anything like that until this event happened to me. I would also like to add I'm only doing this so that someone can help me understand more of what happened as I can't talk to family or friends about this. No one believes me. I'm hoping to get some info on regression therapy from someone who is local to me. On the night of the incident, which was 18 years ago, I was sleeping in my bed next to my girlfriend at the time. We were living with her mother. Her house was right at the edge of the woods and just following that was open, what used to have been corn fields. We weren't in the country by any means just where our house was just happened to be right on farmland. Our bedroom had one window, and it was facing the trees and fields. As I lay sleeping I sort of wake up and see a couple of light balls come through the window and into the room. I don't remember being scared or anything. The rest plays out like scenes, with no transitions though. The next thing I see is the lights are gone. And I see three beings in my room, two small ones and one bigger. All were small though, two maybe 3.5 feet and one maybe 4.5 feet. I remember not being able to move. 
One was standing in front of the TV and I remember it was almost transparent as I could see the TV through him, almost like 50% transparency. The other was standing by my girlfriend. Then I remember one on top of me. I couldn't tell if it was straddling me or not but I was lying down so I assume so. I was in complete fear, no words can describe it. I tried my best to wake my girlfriend but she wouldn't move. The one on top of me got inches from my face and its eyes alone paralyzed me. The next thing I remember is waking up at 6am. And being really thirsty. I have had three other similar times that happened as well, in different locations. I never remember being on a craft though this just takes place in my room. Like I said it has happened a couple more times, that I recall. Like once every couple of years. Most were similar to the above but did have one that was really different. This has changed my life forever. I just want to be heard and get more answers. It was a hot summer afternoon in Amsterdam, New York. I was living with my mom in a house trailer, right off the main route, and the first trailer in the park. It was June 9, 1980. The front door and the back door were almost across from one another and I had both main wood doors open and screen doors shut. There's a small deck off the back door and the front door. I was alone, my mom had gone out for some errands. I was making coffee at the counter. This counter jutted out into the kitchen leaving the front door easily in my sight to the right and the back door just slightly past my peripheral vision on the left. No TV, no music, no neighbors. Out of the corner of my left eye, I saw movement at the back door. I looked and saw a six grasshopper-like being that was wearing a tuxedo with tails, a top hat, and a black cane with a carved bone-like knob. It knocked on the back screen door. I looked back at my coffee cup in disbelief, then I looked again and it was still there, as it cocked its head. I looked away again in fear. Looked one final time, and saw it was still there and that's the last I remember. The whole event took only moments. I moved to Los Angeles in January of 1981. I had no memory of this event. I didn't tell my mom anything when she came home that day, I don't remember anything more from that day. It wasn't until I was in college that I remembered it. It came back as clear as it was that day not over time but all at once. I began telling the story to my close friends but there was always part of me that questioned whether it happened or not. I am an artist, maybe I made it up. But the detail was too clear and then I rented the video communion. I'm sure you know the premise of that movie as well as its location. When I saw the alien wearing the tux, top hat, and cane, I damn near fell off my chair. It was like being hit with a brick. What are the odds of that? There's no way we both dreamed up the same being with those odd details. This is not your standard gray. I think it's important to note that the movie came out after my encounter. My purpose in writing you is to add my story to your records but more importantly, I would really like to know if anyone else has seen this and if they remember anything more about the encounter. I would really like to know what happened that afternoon after my third and final glance. My rebooted memory stops at the third glance. But I got a feeling that was not the end of the story. Please let me know if you have heard of anything like this and thank you for all you do to inform and facilitate. 
I've experienced a lot of paranormal activities in my life, that one happened 15 year ago, when I was 7. On the weekend, I used to visit my grandparents, they lived in an old house not so far from where I lived that time. I remember that I've heard kids playing a game before enter at my grandparents' home, so I thought that were my cousins. When I got inside, I saw that none of my cousins were there, I got confused and asked my grandma if she have heard something, she said that it was probably my imagination, I felt okay, and didn't ask anything anymore. Late at night, after watched some cartoons with my grandpa, I went to sleep, when I entered my bedroom I felt a different sensation, like if I wasn't alone. But I wasn't the kind of kid that gets scared easily. So I went to sleep. And then when I was sleeping, I woke up suddenly, I heard children voices near me, everything were so dark, so I could just see some silhouette of little sized people or whatever it was, they were about 40 centimeter, 1,3 feet, they were running and laughing, I got scared that time, I've closed my eyes and started to run to the direction of my grandparents bedroom. I told them what happened, and of course. They didn't believe me, they said that was probably just a dream. I slept with them because I was scared. On that night I could hear them from the other room, they were really loudly. In the next morning I told my mother about that, she believed on me, she said that it happened to her too, when she were young, she said that they are some kind of fairy that lived there with my grandparents, and that they are somehow trapped there, and also only kids could see them. She also said that when she was younger she used to leave candies to them, so they don't disturb you to sleep at night. In the other night I did it, and I haven't heard anything anymore.